0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Christian Lavers is the president of Elite Clubs National League, aka the ECNL. He was also one of the founding members of the league and helped get everything off of the ground. A summary from the league's uh, history section on the ECNL website reads, The ECNL was founded in 2009 by forward-thinking directors of coaching across the country who saw a need for change in and special commitment to improving the daily environment for American elite female youth soccer players. These directors came together and collaborated to build what would become the top female youth development platform in the world. The grassroots leadership and cooperation was unprecedented in American youth soccer, and the ECNL continues to be the most progressive and innovative development platform in the country. These days, Christian and his colleagues have a whole new set of challenges in front of them. The ECNL has grown at a rapid pace, In recent years, they also added boys teams into the mix, and the league itself is becoming a massive force that USSF is having to figure out how to deal with. And all of this is happening while the entire American youth soccer landscape seems to continue to fracture more and more by the day. I asked Christian some questions about the fracturing and how ECNL fits into the bigger picture of American soccer. And his answers and insight into some of those topics were absolutely incredible. We also discussed his thoughts on good leadership, why collaboration is important, and the next steps for ECNL. Before we get into today's episode, this great interview with Christian, I want to actually say thank you to Christian for agreeing to come on the show and share his perspective. And I also want to say thank you to you for listening to this show. It means a lot, and I really, really appreciate you. And if you would like to learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that actually helps to support and fund this podcast that you are listening to right now, you can find all of the information at 343coaching.com. And not only will becoming a 343 member help you support this podcast, but a membership can also help you become a better coach, no matter what level team you have. If you are not sure if this coaching education program or if this learning style is right for you, no problem. We completely understand, and that is why we created a free course that will help you dip your toes into the water and better understand what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. The free course is loaded with valuable content that will introduce you to the 343 methodology. And when you're ready, the premium course is a much deeper dive into the actual 343 curriculum designed by Brian Kleibin. The course uses ebooks, videos, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and member forums to help you become a better coach because that is the ultimate goal, right? Become a better coach. All right. You can find all of the benefits of becoming a 343 member. By visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out.com. Okay. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with ECNL president, Christian Lavers. Hey Christian, how's it going?
1: Uh it's good. How are you?
0: I'm doing good, doing great actually. I I had a say, uh, that's a rare answer these days. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I know, right? I'm uh I'm a little bit ahead of my my work schedule, and I had a, a great morning cup of coffee, so it's a good morning so far.
1: All right, there you go, and you're probably looking at the ocean or nearby, so <laughs> why
0: not? I actually I haven't I haven't made it down the street yet, so I live like a hundred yards from from the cliff. That, that overlooks the ocean I haven't made it down there quite yet but after this interview wraps up i'm i'm most likely gonna walk down there
1: <laughs> well i'm officially jealous of that <laughs> um
0: all right man uh I, we kind of text a little bit back and forth uh, a few minutes ago but i want to make sure I, I ask if uh if anything's off limits let me know now because if not then we're gonna we're gonna go for it
1: no problem uh we'll be open transparent and if there's some things that we can't really discuss in detail i'll just i'll just say so
0: okay perfect um let's start with uh, a little bit about who you are and and what you do and and maybe you can kind of clue people in on on why you think i might be trying to trying to get you on an interview <laughs>
1: Uh, well, sure. I'll give you the uh, the elevator speech, I guess, on, on my background. Um, I obviously grew up as a player in the game, went to college. And as I started getting getting to the point where I had to enter the real world, uh, I started coaching, uh, fell in love with coaching uh, at the same time, went to law school and then uh, practiced as a corporate attorney for about seven years as I uh, invested in my passion in, uh, of, of soccer coaching which led ultimately to identifying some areas of need and change in the game. Um, in 2009 or so, uh, founded the Girls Elite Clubs National League uh, to address some issues that were clearly in the girls' game in terms of making the environment better. Um, at the time, I was also actually uh, coaching in the U.S. Development Academy for the boys, and... Um, 2011, uh, I went full-time in soccer, uh, working for U.S. Club Soccer and helped to build out uh, their national premier leagues. Uh, At the time I started, I think there were two or three uh, U.S. Club Soccer Leagues across the country, and and we've greatly grown that. And then uh, now my full-time work is is really running the girls' ECNL, which is entering its 10th year uh, of, of changing and transforming the girls' landscape, running the boys' ECNL. Uh, which we just finished our first year, uh, and was a very, I think, successful um, uh, adventure here, and a lot of positive uh, platforms and, and new new initiatives going to come out of that. And uh, during this time, I also I'm a I'm a coach on the field uh, just about every day, going out and working with with youth players uh, in a club that uh, that I run here in Wisconsin, FC Wisconsin, um, which has both a boys and a and a girls side. So uh, I kind of got my hands in a lot of different areas of the game and gives me a lot of different perspective about what's working in the game and maybe where we can do things better.
0: So I I drink coffee to get my energy, but I I don't know where you get enough energy to do all this stuff from like that. That's an insane amount of work, man.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what, if you, if you love what you're doing, um, and I'm sure, you know, you can speak tongue in cheek, but if you love what you're doing, you find time to do it and you, you find, uh, You find energy to do it, and the trick is balance and keeping perspective, which I think we all uh, sometimes have our challenges with. But uh, if you're in this game, uh, the people who are great in this game are the people who spend a a lot of time trying to improve their craft, and I'm sure you do the same.
0: I like that word perspective that you just used, and and I think you have a very unique perspective where you're coming at this from – multiple angles you know a law background a coaching background um i i i don't know if you have the family background i don't know if you're if you're a soccer if you're a soccer dad maybe you can fill me in on that um you
1: know what i have a 13 uh, month old son so nice. he uh, he just started walking a few days ago so uh, my my wife i'm sure is going to be rolling a few little balls out in front of him shortly so uh, <laughs> we probably will be soccer parents soon enough
0: so that that leads me to this question then. In 2009, you're coaching for the Development Academy and you decide that the right thing to do is to start the girls' ECNL program. What prompted you to do that without having a daughter in the game, without coaching in, in the girls' game and the boys' game at the time was just, uh, or the DA was just boys? So what, what prompted you to, to start something like that?
1: Well, I was coaching uh, at the time on both the boys and the girls side. Um, and I think that was probably a lot more common um, in two thousand and seven, eight, nine than it than it probably is now. Um, but a- as we were doing that, and there were there were a lot of positive changes that the the boys DA made at the time to kind of uh, improve the competition quality, uh, refocus, uh, people's perspective on training and development in, in the youth game. Uh, so there were a lot of positive changes that were happening on the boys' side at that point. And those of us who were also working on the girls' side, and it wasn't just me, it was a, as a group of club directors and coaches said, you know, there's a lot of the same problems on the girls' side, and we can do something about this. And it was actually at the uh, NSCA convention in uh, St. Louis uh, at the time, where a group of us got together and said let's let's put some pen to paper and let's put down a a a strategic five-year plan of something we can do to change the environment that our our female players are playing in that we're coaching in um and that make it that makes it better and uh that happened really quickly and the the five-year plan in terms of how we would grow it out uh we actually accomplished in three years not because we were in a rush to do it, but just because things went a lot faster than we thought they were going to go. And that has turned into something that I think is bigger and better than any of us ever would have believed. If you, if you told us in back in 2009, what the league uh, could ultimately do and accomplish. And uh, so it started basically from saying we want to have a better environment. We want a better environment for the players, a better environment for the coaches and a and, and a better environment for the clubs to to be in.
0: Can you describe that group of people that that you met with at that NSCAA convention? And and the reason why I asked Christian is is a problem that I've noticed recently, and it's something that we are actually um, we are participating in by having this conversation. But uh, every time that I try to get an interview with somebody from the girl side of the game, it always steers back to a male working in the female game. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot more males working in the in the youth female game than there are females. I think it's, it's slowly, uh, growing in terms of, of women coaching, uh, women in the youth game. Uh, I think it's not quite the same in college. I think the numbers, the number of females, uh, coaches working in college is higher than it is in youth. Um, And uh, gosh, there's probably a a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of issues uh, that that impact that. Um, But the the group that we started with, I mean, at the time, there was something called the Red Bull League, which was a little more informal structure that was was set up by coaches that that wanted to do something different. And then actually it was it was a group of guys um, and I'll probably miss a few of them, but uh, Scott McDonnell from St. Louis, Scott Gallagher. Uh, was was in these original meetings. Doug Bracken from Ohio Elite, uh, Chris King, who was with Ohio Premier at the time, Rory dames, who was with Eclipse uh, out of Illinois. Uh, that that was really the first group that got together and said, let's put some let's put some ideas down and let's let's look at this uh, in terms of a long-term strategic plan about what we can do to to make the game better. So, from that point, you know one of the biggest differences of of the ECNL, I think, of almost any league um, in soccer, and, may, and maybe in, in youth sports, I don't know, is that ultimately the the directors of coaching of the clubs are are in charge of the league, and they elect the board of directors. And our board of directors is all active directors of coaching. So every decision that comes into the league that's made first goes through the lens of a coach, somebody who is Accountable to their players and to their families. Somebody who has to go out on the field every day and see what's working and what's not working. Um, And I think that is a a really powerful and important distinction that the business decision or how do we make an idea work comes after the perspective of looking at it from uh, from a on field perspective and a player and club experience perspective, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does, and that's it's very important because I think that's a, a common criticism when you look at like the U- USSF governing body or or however you want to describe that. But it's like those guys are so far removed from you know the day to day on field operations that the decisions they're making, you know, they don't know what the impact is and 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 how that you know will affect a, a six year old boy or a 14-year-old girl or or things like that. So I think that that having the coaches involved in the conversation and in the decision-making process is, is super important. Is that is that something that has evolved over time or was that was that from the get-go?
1: No, that was from the beginning and and it was really important to us. I mean, the ECNL is a 501c3 nonprofit and we set it up that way very intentionally. Uh, and the reason was we wanted this organization even from from day 1 to be something that the clubs felt was theirs um and the clubs felt responsible for invested in and a part of and so from the first day we knew it was going to be a nonprofit we knew that the leadership was going to be based uh, on the leadership of clubs and everything was set up then from a governance perspective to allow club leaders to be in a position of responsibility and authority to make the decisions that need to be made to improve the level of the game and improve the experience of the players and the teams and the clubs so um part of that was then to make sure that any any finances that came into the league were redirected back into the league so we collected revenue that used to go all to all different types of, of, of places when tournaments were held and when events were held, and we collected that, and it all goes back into funding operations and programs for the league. And and as I've said, um, the the governance the governance uh, is is determined solely by the directors of coaching and by the member clubs in the league.
0: It's an interesting point you make and and i i didn't intend on on bringing this up but how how does that or does it not affect pay to play for ecnl clubs or ecnl families
1: you know i think personally pay to play is uh, an incredibly overblown topic i and, think so too and man I, <laughs> <laughs> and i and it, it's it makes a, a nice sound bite. Um, and it makes a nice uh, hero and villain fairy tale, but it doesn't, uh, the, the way it's discussed doesn't really get to any positive resolution. And I say that for a couple of reasons, which is one, um, every major club, and I say every major club that I'm aware of, has a scholarship program. Um, and they work to tr- provide um, reduced or, or free registration for as many players as they can. And certainly, I think every club would say they'd like to have more resources so they could do more of that. Um, but that is out there. And I think you can probably get some pretty solid numbers on what type of percentages uh, clubs typically budget in terms of reduced or free registration. So there are scholarship programs uh, that, that uh, are there and in place. Uh, second, you know, from a league perspective, we are constantly aware of the cost of participation and try and do things to reduce that as much as possible. So one, some of those things are done from looking at conference structures and the amount of travel uh, that's required and trying to put together structures that reduce the no- amount of hotel nights that, that are required in conference play, that reduce the amount of driving um, and, and therefore reduce costs and reduce time commitment. Um, and then when we do require big travel, like for the national events, make those experiences absolutely fantastic so that where you do have to spend the most money to travel, uh, you're doing so for something really unique um, and really different. Uh, we also provide all of our all of our uh, development and identification events that we provide, whether those are the conference-based uh, development programs, whether it's our national training camp, there is no cost for participation for the players to attend those. They have to get there uh, in terms of uh, tra- uh, the travel. But once they're there, the, the, at the National Training Camp, for example, all the food, the room and board, all the equipment, all the staffing, there's no charge for any of that. Um, and so we try and give back to, to individual players and, and that component. And then for our Final Four, now we provide a rather large subsidy uh, to each of the clubs that qualify for the Final Four to help pay for the travel cost for the players that have that additional event. And, you know, I'll be the first one to say we're constantly looking for additional sources of revenue to reduce cost and participation. But there is a, a cost to running soccer, just like there's a cost to running any other sport. You have to pay for fields. You have to pay for lights. You have to pay for equipment um, unless you can find a bunch of people that are going to work huge amount of hours every week for 50 weeks a year. You have to pay for staff. Um, so there is a cost. It's just a question of how do we find all, all additional revenue sources to reduce that as much as we can? Um, and what else do we do to just inherently make, make what we're doing more efficient so that we we reduce costs? Um, we could go farther into issues of, of demographics and areas of, of the country where maybe programs may reach players that that aren't currently reached, but that, that goes into a, a whole other topic. Um, but I think pay-to-play very rarely is discussed in the depth that it needs to be for people to really identify what is working and what is not working.
0: I love that you, that you went that direction with it. And I I rarely ever bring up anything like pay to play in in any of these conversations. And kind of like you said, I just, I I feel like it's not, uh, you know, like a top five or even a top 10 type issue. But now that we're kind of in it, I'm curious with, with some like, current events that just happened so the Alfonso Davies move to Bayern Munich and the MLS franchise giving solidarity payment back down to Alfonso's youth club what how how do you react as an ECNL president and a, and a club coach when something like that happens when you're constantly looking for new revenue streams and and other ways to to you know make the game uh, more affordable and accessible to, to other people in the country. What happens when something like solidarity payments comes up?
1: Well, I mean, I think solidarity, solidarity payments are fantastic. And uh, ultimately, uh, if, if we can create a, a system or, or a, a stimulus that makes people want to do that, because there's nothing stopping somebody from doing that, as, as you just highlighted. And any, any club, when they sign a player, could provide a payment. Uh, to the youth clubs that that developed and trained that player now systemically to to make that a a viable economic um, uh, economic vehicle where where investors will say I'm going to invest in this club because there's going to be a payoff down the road I think we got to do a lot of improvement in development in this country before somebody can build a business plan around making everything free because there's going to be enough solidarity payments from pros signing out of any particular club or program um, but I think absolutely, when you look at the top level uh, of, the, of the game and the money and the resources that are there, a little bit of those resources can go such a long way in, in helping the youth environment be better and helping provide things uh, at, a, at, a, at a lower cost and helping more players who may have a difficult time affording things to have that opportunity. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. It can be done voluntarily by anybody. So, and, and, you know, there is no prohibition on doing that from from a club um, who feels like they have an obligation to support youth development.
0: It's it's funny to me that, you know, some of the best things in in Major League Soccer, and this is just an a, a, a opinion of mine, um, keep happening in Canada. Like I don't understand why this stuff keeps happening in Canada. Like, t- like Toronto was like touted as the as the best MLS team in you know MLS history with with some of the stuff they did the last couple of years, and and now another Canadian team is the one leading the way with solidarity payments. I'm like, all right, Canada's doing something right but <laughs> well I'll tell
1: you I mean and I'm sure you've heard this and other discussions you've had with people in across American soccer at every level there's just a lot of division right now in American soccer and still I, still I,
0: even I, after all yeah. this like tur- turmoil and and the election and, and all kinds of stuff it's it's not it, nothing is fixed nothing is fixed
1: well um, you know I I I can't argue too much with that and, I, and I'm, I wouldn't say that there's not people who don't want things to improve and, and to be fixed. But unfortunately at this point, there's still not enough of a momentum um, behind, behind that movement. Um, so the people that are trying to do good things uh, need to keep trying to do good things and, and hopefully at some point we can find some common ground and some leadership that brings people together. Um, and so we look at all of this as, as raising the game and a rising tide for everybody and not a zero-sum game or not a control issue. Uh, and, and I think that divisiveness, it's really—it's not great for the game, but it's also not great for the people in the game, whether it's the players who are being put in very difficult and uh, unfortunate unethical positions sometimes and for also for the professionals in the game i mean if we want to make soccer coaching a better profession we need to make the environment in which coaches work a better environment Um, and that has a lot to do with the professional relationships between organizations and between people um, and not having so much acrimony um, and and conflict in those relationships and instead focusing on how do we make the soccer environment better whether that's youth college professional, whatever it may
0: be. The the best way I heard it described was actually by Eric Winalda when I when I was able to go have a coffee with him down in Thousand Oaks where he's from and and he described our soccer system more like a tree where where other countries have an actual true pyramid and and our tree consists of, you know, multiple youth leagues that are all kind of just doing their own thing ncaa we have usl the def- defunct nasl mls and, and nobody's really working together to push everything in one direction everybody's kind of doing their own thing and i'm really curious how you as a member of multiple different aspects so ecnl US youth soccer um you know just a, a an everyday club coach um how 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 do you navigate all that? And, and, and I'm going to ask a follow-up question once I get this answer to you, but I, I think this is a topic we can maybe spend a few, a few more minutes on.
1: Well, um, you know, I think the, the best leadership and the most difficult leadership is, is in bringing people with discrete interests together or get bringing people from different backgrounds and with different perspectives together and finding common ground. Um, it's very easy. Uh, in some sense, to lay down fiat uh, and to make proclamations and 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 uh, demands and rules and prohibitions, to me, that's 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 not difficult leadership. Um, the difficult leadership is bringing people together and finding ways to do things together. And so, I can only speak from from my perspective in our organizations. Um, and and we start on that from a couple of I think basic. Um, criteria, which is uh, we have core values that inform every decision that we make. And you know y- y- you can go to a business school and, and people talk about core values and mission statements and vision and all those types of things and a lot of people roll their eyes. But I think at the end of the day, if you're going to have a great culture and you're going to have an organization, whether that organization is a club or a league or a team, if you're going to have great culture, you have to have a common foundation of core values that everybody understands and everybody embraces. Uh, because that really informs decisions in difficult times and in difficult moments is you look back and say, well, what do we stand for? And what is the foundation of our organization? And that's gonna make our decision a lot easier when, when we're in these difficult moments because we have an anchor of values. And so <clears throat> within the ECNL, we feel uh, we feel we have some great values, and that over the last uh, 10 years on the girls' side and certainly in a much more uh, early stage on the boys' side, but that these values are really being understood and embraced and internalized uh, across the league and across all these different clubs. And it makes it a lot easier for us to find common ground and collaborate. And I think that's the second part of, of, uh, of leadership is that you have to find ways to collaborate with people. We can, you know, I, I, again, I come I come from the professional background uh, of an attorney where you're on opposite sides of a table um, uh, in almost everything you do. You're representing one side and somebody on the other side, whether it's litigation or whether it's even just coming to coming to an agreement on a deal. You have different needs. You have different gives, different non-negotiables, and you have to find a way to to come together. I, I was a transactional um, uh, transactional attorney. And I think the same thing is true. in in sport and when dealing with different club leaders and coaches. We all have different perspectives. We have different philosophies. We have different environments in which we operate our clubs and different families and cultures that, that we operate within. But that shouldn't stop us from finding some basic things we can agree on, some small steps and things we can do together. And what you find in almost any situation where you start to do things together, you find out that the guy on the other side of the table isn't that different than you. When it comes to the desire to do things better. And a little step turns into a bigger step. And all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, you've transformed the landscape when, when people, too many people just stop and say, well, this is never going to work. These guys can't get along. They're too different. Um, And so let's just put some rules and prohibitions and, and, uh, you know, not even attempt, not even attempt to build consensus um, and collaboration. And we, we've, we, I think collaboration is probably in our DNA more than more than anything else
0: that leads me perfectly into what I wanted to ask about the or my, my follow-up question that I wanted to ask and and it's basically about your willingness to collaborate and it seems like you know having a national league and having to work with multiple states and 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 hundreds or even thousands of clubs I'm not sure exactly how big the league is now um You know, it's it's obvious that you guys are willing to collaborate, but that's kind of like a a, a, like a top down approach, I think, from you guys where you're you're collaborating with people that are beneath you. And I don't mean that in in a degrading way at all, just um, the way that I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture, I guess. How hard has it been to collaborate above you? So with, you know, U.S. soccer governance or maybe maybe even collaborating side by side with with. Um, the development Academy or, or anything equivalent to that. I don't know if does that question even make sense?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess I, I I maybe change the the first part of it and say that um, I think when you say collaborate down uh, or, or work, you know, from a league perspective, looking at our member clubs, um, what I would say is that we give authority and respect to the clubs that make up our league. And in turn, they give us respect and leadership, and um, it's a two-way street on that. Because again, you don't you don't lead by walking into a room and saying, "I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, I know more than you, so do what I say." I mean, that's just insanely stupid. What you do is you get into a room and you say, "What do we all agree on? Here's a here's an idea, here's a vision, here's a future that I think or that we think." Um, would be pretty fantastic. Can we all get there? Can we, what, what vision do you see? What future do you see? Where can we see a common future? And what is important to you in, in this process? And so I think all, the, the collaboration that we have internally within the ECNL is predicated 1,000% on respect for the people that are in the league. And that goes back to our, our governance model. We are, we are accountable to the clubs that are in the league. If they don't like what we do, they'll vote the board of directors out. Um, and, you know, <laughs> nobody's afraid to call me or to call our staff and tell us what we did wrong uh, or what they don't like. Um, and we're not afraid to hear that, even if there's times when it doesn't feel great. Um, and so I think, you know, that that is much more on a eye-to-eye perspective because whatever decision the league makes, I got to go back and I got to deal with it at my club. So I'm not making a decision as a league and and then saying, you guys deal with it. Um, And that's true for every member of our board. And that's true for every, every club within the league. And if we've done anything uh, it's we've changed and evolved and adapted um, every year based on feedback from, from our membership. Um, When you look outside of that uh, you know, we're sanctioned by us club soccer And, and on the boys side, we collaborated with U.S. Club Soccer for the postseason for the boys ECNL. So the boys ECNL operates all of our regular season conference competition and our national events. Um, and we have a, a training camp actually starting tomorrow uh, in the Bahamas with the Bahamian Football Association. Um, and, and from, from that uh, governance and structure that we do from the regular season and player identification, and we do some coaching development events as well, we collaborated with U.S. Club Soccer for the postseason championship. So the best teams from the boys ECNL from their conference competition meet the best teams from U.S. Club Soccer's National Premier Leagues in the what was um, termed the ENPL. So that was uh, whether you want to call it a collaboration up with our sanctioning body or a collaboration laterally with other leagues uh, outside of the ECNL that was uh that was an attempt to to build some of those bridges um which is new and i don't think has ever been done um and before in in any sanctioning body and it's not easy for sure there's been some really difficult times and some people with very very different opinions and some you know expected um bumps that you have in the first year of anything but we we've had we've tried to uh We've tried to do that and build bridges with these other leagues and, and with some programs of our sanctioning body. Um, and we're open to that um, at every level. I mean, we, we uh, you know, I think I talked to you briefly on, on, on text a couple of weeks ago, we just finished our girls national training camp uh, out in Portland uh, where Manchester city and Paris St. Germain brought their women's professional teams out and they trained on the same facilities we had integrated training sessions where our top 17- and 18-year-olds in the ECNL trained with those pro teams. And actually, we had four kids that actually played for PSG in their friendly match against Man City um, on, the, on Tuesday the 24th. And so, you know, wh- if we look and say that's a pretty, uh, a pretty deep collaboration with two of the biggest, um, most influential brands in, in world football um, at a professional level with a youth organization. Um, and that was made possible through a relationship that we have with the ICC, the International Champions Cup, who is interested in, in trying to make soccer better in this country. And we found a way where we can use some of their strengths and what they do in their programs to make something we do better. And we can help add some value to a women's uh, a women's program that they're trying to build. So, you know, I think if you look, we, we have we have really good relationships with a lot of different organizations um, and are always open for ways that we can add value and make the experience better for the players and the clubs.
0: So as you're as you're talking, I'm I'm just I'm, I'm trying to take mental notes and, and observations. Pretty much everybody that you listed is outside of uh, USSF. Is is, <laughs> is that is, is that fair to say?
1: Well, I guess we we. I listed uh, the Bahamian Federation, Paris Saint Germain, Manchester City, ICC, uh, U.S. Club Soccer. I mean, there's a lot of people there uh, in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different areas. But yeah, um, uh, we have uh, we have not had a joint program with U.S. Soccer. That is that is clear.
0: Has there been an attempt?
1: Um, well, when we when when uh, all of the um, what would we call it all of the excitement and uh conflict that started a couple years ago (laughs) with the creation of the of the girls development academy um we were very clear from the beginning that we were wide open to working with the federation um to collaborating with their staff to uh change and evolve and add things to the league and to find some way anyway to uh, To do things together, and that that there at the time there was uh, zero interest in uh, from their perspective in doing that, and that's you know that's not said with any judgment. I'm just stating a fact. There was zero interest in collaborating.
0: Going back to what you said, you know a, about collaborating and, and about leadership and and things like that. When when the attempt to reach out is, is not met with, you know, the result that maybe you guys desired. Does that mean that the door gets closed or, or do you guys keep an open door?
1: Um, well, collaborations in our DNA. So, um, you know, the door is always open for any organization that has uh, an, an interest in working with us uh, or has a program that, um they think or we think we can do together that that provides new opportunity for players or coaches or clubs so that that's part of who we are that door is that door is always that's always open now we're not going to stand still and twiddle our thumbs and just wait for somebody to change their mind or wait for these things to come to us I mean another thing that I think we've done fairly well and by the way we've done plenty of things uh you know not great that we've learned from but one of the things I think that we have done um pretty well is we we act and we move and we innovate and so we have a vision we have ideas of how uh, we can do things better and new things we can add and we're going to keep doing that and keep evolving as an organization and keep adding new experiences um, because that's what you do if you don't do that as an organization you don't improve just like if you don't do that as a player you don't improve Um, and so we're going to keep moving forward and keep growing and keep building and The door will always be open for people who would like to sit down and find a way to work together with us or to build something together with us. Um, And, you know, that 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 it would be uh, it would be a big mistake for us not to take that perspective, um, because that that's how that's how we've become who we've become is being open, open to those uh, open to new ideas, open to new people, open to new concepts.
0: It's exciting to to hear you talk about that, and and that's one of the things I, I've noticed, especially with your guys' launching of the boys' side of ECNL, is that you guys like to be on offense. I, I think that's a, a fair assessment, and uh, it's just exciting to kind of watch the way that you guys do business. Um, I am curious about if there are are any conversations happening about you know what's next for 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 you guys and and by what's next I, I, my brain goes to are are there any conversations happening about you know the next level so professional soccer or or amateur level soccer uh, at the at the adult level that is going to be tied to ECNL or sanctioned by US you know, club soccer or something like that so i don't know if that's something that you can talk about or, or something that's, you know, even, even thought about by you guys.
1: Well, you've hit on a real big strategic issue, (laughs) which is what, what is, what is the next five years? What does the next 10 years look like? What, what are the, where are there gaps in our programming? And so certainly, um, certainly there's discussion. There's looking at what, what was realistic, what would be fantastic, even if it may be a little bit, uh, a little like hitting a grand slam. Um, so we're looking at that. I mean, uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go back to, to, you know, this, this concept of collaboration and the fact that none of us are as smart of all as all of us. And I know that's a bit of a, uh, you know, a cliche, but when you work with people and you're open to ideas from different people, you come up with really new, exciting and creative things that you can do. And, Uh, I'll say we came up with so many great new programs that didn't originate with me sitting in an office or our staff sitting in an office or even our board sitting together. Some things have come from those processes, but a lot have come from having somebody in, in a club in the league say, you know what, have you guys thought about this? Or, hey, I've got a connection here. Or I can introduce you to this uh, this person or this organization, and I think they might be interested in doing something. And so I think that's, you know, it's it's a force multiplier collaboration. And so when you talk about big ideas, about what's what's the next big thing coming, you know, coming for the, for the ECNL boys or the ECNL girls, um, it's going to come through that process. And we're certainly looking at, at everything. Um because that's that's again, that's what we have to do as leadership uh, leaders and in, in, in organizations is look and say, how do we constantly stay on the front edge of innovation of great new opportunities and of making the player, coach, and club experience better and better and better? Um, and we're going to continue to do that. So I know I didn't give you anything specific there because <laughs> uh, our strategic planning is is a uh, you know, it's a pretty tightly held um, process. But, you know, we, every year, we reevaluate a strategic plan, put together some new objectives and some new concepts and go out and execute. And then we reflect and reevaluate and replan.
0: I, I appreciate you even answering the question, but, but I've, I've come to, you know, I've come to learn a lot about verbal gymnastics and, and this interviewing process that I've gone through. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, but it, it's, it, it's something right, here. Maybe I can, I can let's see if I can ask another question. Do you have, do you have like five, 10 more minutes, two, three more questions. Okay, cool. Um, Let's see, let's see if, if this, if this sparks a a different response from you during the, the election process or the campaigning process when, you know, Kyle Martino and Eric Winalda and hope solo and Carlos and Kathy and all these people are out there, you know, saying what needs to be fixed and, and, and things like that. Uh, the common, I think, or the consensus was, and, and the belief was, that we need to fix the grassroots. So we need to start at the very bottom and fix everything at the very bottom, and that's going to help fix everything at the top. Now, my belief is the opposite. Where my belief is that the top is where the glass ceiling is for everybody, and you can fix all you want at the very bottom, you're still going to hit the glass ceiling. Um, and, and and what you kind of mentioned. Briefly in in your last response was, I think, something along that along those lines. And and I want to make sure that I didn't misinterpret you. But maybe if if you if you could kind of pick apart that idea of bottom up or top down and and where do the fixes really need to happen?
1: Well, I think the answer um, is both. Um, You know, if you take one perspective, you're going to miss something. So, um, top down certainly is important because it provides an aspirational goal. And just like you want players to have aspirational goals. I mean, you can talk about process goals and the importance of the daily improvement process, which is primary, but they also have to be able to look and say, I want to get there, whatever there is, whether there is, to play on a high school varsity team, whether there is to be a collegiate All-American, whether there is to, pl- to be a national team player or a professional player, there has to be an aspirational goal. Um, and I think I think it's very helpful um, for clubs and teams to have that. I mean, you don't, you don't start a season with teams saying, hey, we're just going to play some games. <laughs> we're going to play some games. We're not going to count <laughs> wins and losses. Uh, you know, we're just at the end of this, we're just going to say we played a bunch of games and we won some and we lost some. You don't start like that. You talk about goals. You talk about how now not everybody's goal can't be to win a national championship or, or to, you know, be totally outcome focused like that. But you look, even, even with teams that aren't going to win national championships, you look and say, okay, this is where we are. What would be a stretch goal for us in terms of a, 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 an outcome goal? Can we set our sights on that? You look at each individual within, within that group and say, what is a realistic, what do you want? Why are you playing? What is it that you're looking to achieve? And you'll get, I'm always surprised at some of the answers you get when you ask players questions. I'm a big advocate <laughs> of asking people questions because you, you learn so much more from that. So I think from a top-down perspective, having a pathway and having an open pathway is incredibly important. Because, you know, and I, I've, I've said this before in other meetings and, and with with uh, Federation people and, and, and internally within uh, the ECNL that we can we can talk about minimum standards all day long. But what minimum standards do is make the absolute worst less bad. And I don't think you grow anything by saying, let's make the worst less bad. I think you grow by saying, what incentive and aspiration do we put out that makes people want to do whatever they can to get there and so i think more powerful leadership is about providing um, incentives for positive change and providing aspirational outcomes not turning and saying this these are minimum expectations or else Um, and so i think that kind of ties into your to your top down um, vision and then you, you also have to look from the bottom up because at the end of the day I mean, I spend most of my time working and interfacing with clubs at the, you know, I don't know what you would call it, the, the top youth competitive level, the elite youth competitive level, the what a, travel has different name in different regions, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have some opinions on recreational soccer. Um, I have some background in re- understanding recreational soccer, but there are people that are a lot smarter than me and knowing exactly what's going right and going wrong in recreational soccer. And so uh, I would be foolish if I was trying to change the grassroots um, and making decisions without actually talking with a variety of experts in recreational soccer. And to me, that's the, that's the bottom-up perspective. And it's not just recreational. It's elite youth travel. It's high school. It's every every little niche in the soccer market there's people who are really smart and really informed in that who can tell you, this is going well, this is not going well, or this is, this is where we've got plenty of opportunity. This is where we've got a real gap. And so I think that again, you go back to leadership, most of leadership should be listening and then putting together a team. And if you listen well and you put together a good team, good decisions come almost naturally. Most leadership problems in my opinion, come from people who don't listen or people who don't put together a good team.
0: Christian, you're like a fountain of knowledge. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, this is exciting, man. I, I, uh, I wish I could talk to you for 10 hours.
1: <laughs> well, I enjoy, I enjoy doing this. It's, you know, cause this is how we, this is how we learn. I mean, we all have, you have your sources of information and people that you talk to and learn from and share ideas with. And I have the same people. And, and again, I think that, if I if I was to look back, and I know I've said a lot of things here that say, well, this is this was great, or this was key, or this was really important, but I think one of the biggest changes that we have helped create, and it's a real credit to all the coaches and clubs across the country, um, over, over time, is you know when I when I was coaching in 2007 and 2006 and before that, uh, nobody shared anything. You, you, you went out to your own team, you trained your team, you went and played somebody on the weekend. If it was a big game and you lost, you were pissed and you went home. And if it was a big game and you won, you were happy and you went home, but nobody shared any ideas. Nobody really had deep relationships or connections with their peers in the coaching profession, or even that many club to club relationships um, from a, from a knowledge transfer perspective. And if you look now across, you know, the CNL, there is such a wonderful spirit of sharing and collaboration between coaches and the willingness to pick up the phone or send an email and say, Hey, I have this issue. Have you seen it and how have you solved it? Or hey, how have you trained this, this topic? Because this is what I've done and I don't think it's working great. What have you done? And I think that, you know, when we talk about learning and growing and changing, you know, it's just like any course. You you take a certain amount of information away from a course. But where you really learn is when you go home and you reflect and you use it and when you talk to other people based on firsthand knowledge of your experience. And so I think we've created a really powerful culture of sharing, you know, and, and I'll just I'll, you know, I'll finish on that topic with a story. We just we just had this this training camp in Portland and uh, and the boys, the boys one starts up tomorrow. And we we have some of the best teachers in the country. In those in those camps, um, working with players, and it's not just a player experience anymore. The coaches that come into those camps share ideas, present sessions, talk about ways to tweak the session that's presented to make it better, to add a wrinkle here or to add a topic there. And I think and you know, I, I mean, I don't think I know based on the feedback we've gotten that coaches leave those camps saying this is this is one of the best coaching development uh, programs that I've ever been to. Um, and it's not because there's one person up there standing and saying this is my way and it's the only way and you better do it. It's because people stand up and say, here's what I'm thinking. This is how I'm I'm doing it now. What do you do? What do you think? And we we we've come up with some really really powerful changes in in in, in our environment through that process. And and I hope I hope that's something that grows outside uh, in the broader soccer ecosystem because right now there just seems to be uh, very very provincial mentalities very um separatist mentalities and it's it's not it's not it's not great
0: it's it, i always feel like such a dork when i'm doing these interviews because it, it's just a phone call and i'm sitting here like smiling and nodding my head like yeah like that's awesome knowing or not not realizing like you can't see my facial reactions so <laughs> i felt like that was well, we kind can of get funny. together
1: sometime at, uh, <laughs> you know at a convention or something
0: of, of course of course um all right, hey, uh, last question. Where where can people find more about find out more about you, about the ECNL and about you know projects that you that you guys are passionate about.
1: Sure. I mean, our our website eliteclubsnationalleague.com is the girls website, boysecnl.com is the boys uh, website. And th- those those two websites really kind of will give you all of the basic background on the league, the, the, the values of the league, the different programs of the league. Um, you know, I'm excited. We're, we're going to announce here in a couple of weeks uh, the, the presenters for our, our coaching symposium uh, in January, which uh, which will be in Las Vegas in January. And we're bringing in some incredible uh, educators and, and teachers from a broad uh, a broad perspective of backgrounds um, for that event, and you know that that's just a, a, a small sort of teaser of the different types of things we try and do to add value uh, to the league. Um, you know, I like to uh, every now and then think I'm saying something intelligent on Twitter at labor's one <laughs> and some <laughs> some of those some of those uh, some of those tweets are smarter or funnier than others, but. No, I, I think our websites uh, are, are great, um, great sources of information. Facebook, uh, actually, I don't even know what our Facebook pages are, to be honest with you. I look yeah. at them, but uh, and there's great there's great stuff. I think that's something we've done really well as well as sharing information with players on leadership and nutrition and community service and all that stuff. And that that's on Facebook and social media stuff. So, um, you know, we, we're we're all over the digital landscape, I guess.
0: Now you are. And I'll make sure I linked everything in the show notes. So that way people can easily connect with you and, and stay in, stay in touch with everything that you guys are doing. Um, Christian, I'm, I'm super thankful for, for your time and, and for all the work that you do on behalf of, of soccer in this country. And I'm excited to, to continue to follow what you guys, uh, what you guys do in the future.
1: No, I really appreciate uh, being being on your show, and and appreciate what you do, and and the information that you share. It's it's we're, whether we're all six degrees or seven degrees or two degrees away. Um, it's it's things like these that actually connect people to new ideas. And you know, when you when you when you hear from somebody with a different perspective and a new idea, that's where progress and change happens. That's where the excitement is. So thank you for for connecting people through through these interviews.
0: Alright, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big thank you to Christian Labors for setting aside some time and coming on the show. I really, really appreciate that. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast and other episodes of this podcast. It means a lot to me. And if you would like to learn more about how you can help support and fund this podcast. You can find all of that at 343coaching.com. And the way to actually help to support and fund this podcast is by signing up for one of our online coaching courses, whether it is the free course or the premium course. And that is how you can help us keep the lights on here. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with one of our online courses.
1: And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course because the, the one thing that i like about what they're presenting is again it's simplicity man. it's very simple it's not a lot of you know complicated words it makes sense and it goes right directly to the heart of 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 the game on 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 how to how to develop um, not just you know individual players but develop teams as well
0: once again you can find all of the information about signing up for one of our online courses by visiting 343coaching.com that's the numbers 343coaching all spelled out.com once again thank you and we appreciate you for being part of our 343 family and extended network of coaches and we look forward to being with you guys next time here on the 343 podcast